Governor Chris Sununu. Morning, Jack. Well, how are you, sir? I, you've been around these things. You know they come and go like elections, so it's business as normal now for you. But I have to tell you, in all due respect, you worked pretty hard there in the last couple weeks or month once you endorsed Nikki Haley. I, I've said in my, on some of the national interviews, I've seen past big names in New Hampshire endorse someone, but they, they, weren't, they were not there. You were out there really working it. Yeah, well, look, there were a lot of candidates in the race um, when, when I had endorsed her. I knew she had a shot at, you know, with all those candidates at trying to get second place and all that. I thought, I, I always said, getting, you know, first or second in the first three states is what she had to do. I mean, it was better than, than we thought in some respects because she knocked everyone out of the race, right? And really narrowed it down uh, quicker than, than anybody thought. It would have been great to win, of course, but it was never say she had to win. I, I was hopeful. I thought she could win, but she didn't have to win, right? Now she gets to go to her her home state of South Carolina. And, yes, you know, you're bringing up a good point. You know, Trump is effectively the incumbent. He gets away with not having to do retail politics and connect with people. He's just kind of tapping into folks' anger. Okay, that's understandable. But, uh, you know, that makes it a lot harder for everyone else. Everyone else has to work about three times as hard when you're running against the former president, you know. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah. so I think she did a great job. Governor Sinner, no one asked this. Looking at the numbers in New Hampshire, and we have an updated uh, kind of total tally from Secretary of State's Scanlon, record turnout. It seemed to me, and I said this on election night with our analysts you know, at St. Anselm, that Trump did really well among the Republican primary voters. Nikki Haley did really well among those independents, and that obviously was the, the, the sweet spot for her, the non-Trump voters. But going forward, even in South Carolina, how is she going to win a Republican presidential nomination if she has a tough time winning the Republican primaries with Trump in the race, because he seems pretty tough to to beat. And you look at all the people that have stepped out and given up. She's in there. But how does she do well? Is it a difficult path going forward for her, even in South Carolina, her home state? Well, of course, look, beating Trump is tough. Everybody knows that. But understand, most of the states are like ours. I mean, in South Carolina, I, I it's Iowa and South Carolina are more flexible with voting than New Hampshire is. Right. You could be a Democrat in Iowa, walk in the door and, and, and caucus for Trump if you wanted to. You could, I think you could be a Democrat in, in South Carolina and just walk in the door and vote. That's just the way they do it. Uh, so, no, there's, I think most of the states going into Super Tuesday have either a semi-open or open primary system. So there's a lot of opportunity there, to, to be sure. And, yeah, Trump is always going to do really strong with the base. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, the, the fear with those numbers more than anything, if it tells you anything, is, Trump is going to have a, a, a really hard time winning in November if he's our nominee, something we've been warning people about. It doesn't matter if you can win a primary if you can't win the general. Nikki crushes in the general. Trump doesn't. And so that those numbers, especially with independents, are, are most concerning, right? So um, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity. I think she ran a very strong race here. Um, there's a lot of good lessons learned and good data that we can kind of, I think her campaign can crank out of this. And and I'm not saying replicate because South Carolina is very different than New Hampshire. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, hit copy and paste. But I think there, there, there. I think there's a better appreciation of what the electorate, what the electorate is looking for, how he's attacking. I mean, all his negative ads are just lies and, and nonsense. But people buy into it, right? So you can't just, you know, you can't ignore it, right? So, um, so we'll see kind of how, what they put together. They got a month. They got a month to go in South Carolina. That's a long time for Nikki to pick up a lot of ground. Do you think she, she do you do you advise her to stay in this thing right through Super Tuesday, regardless of even, oh, sure. yeah, even how South Carolina yeah. goes? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I don't think you don't have to win a race. You don't have to start winning states until Super Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, if, if a candidate really gets wiped out on Super Tuesday, OK, well, now fine. 
But, you know, the, the early states are not must-wins, regardless mm-hmm. of what Ronna McDaniel, the head of the Republican Party, will tell you. She's an idiot. I mean, the fact that she's basically taking sides when the race has just begun, I can only imagine the fear of God that Trump put into her. She, You know, on a conversation on election night, she looked like a scared puppy dog, uh, you know, out there uh, yesterday morning telling everyone, you know, Nikki has to get out of the race now. That, that is not the role of the head of the Republican Party. But but that's what Trump does. He just puts the, the fear into everyone. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, that's not that's not a way to win races. And so Nikki's not going to be intimidated by that. She's going to work hard and push all the way through. Governor Sununu, uh, before I let you go, any surprises? You know this state so well. You've had four back-to-back winning gubernatorial elections. Any surprises from this primary about, or was it about what you expected? Um, I, you know, this is going to sound weird. I know we had record turnout. It was still lower than I thought. I thought the turnout would still be higher. I knew it would break the record. But I thought there was a chance at one point in early in the day where the turnout was so strong that you thought there could be 340, 350,000 people come out and that and every new voter beyond that was going to be more likely to tend towards Nikki. So while it was a record, I was surprised it wasn't, you know, as, as a little more overwhelming. Um, you know, the number of, of undeclareds that, you know, came out and voted in the process, it was, again, it was up but not at the, nearly the number I was expecting. I thought there would be a lot more undeclared to come out. There's a lot of people that could that really can't stand Trump and could have voted in this thing, and they, they end up sitting home, unfortunately, um, partaking in that. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know I, it was just weird because there were two candidates, right, as, as opposed to five or six or, you know, eight or whatever it is that we're normally seeing. So it, the whole thing had kind of a, a weird vibe. Um, I, you know, Nikki was ready, ready to debate Trump. Trump keeps kind of chickening out on the, on the thing. Right. He, he, he tells everyone he's a fighter, but he's obviously not willing to fight. I don't know why everyone keeps buying, buying it. But be that as it may, the whole thing felt weird uh, with just two candidates. But overall, it was run really, really well. And hats off to every town moderator, all the clerks, yeah. uh, Secretary of State Scanlon, no voter fraud. We, I mean, the, we had very, very, very few problems. I mean, I don't want to say we had none. But nothing that rose to my level, I can tell you. Yeah. So, uh, if anything, New Hampshire just proved that its system worked really, really well. I've said this before. New Hampshire knows how to vote, and we know how to count votes here. We don't seem to have the problems of other states. Before I let you go, Governor, I know your focus has been on the national and local stuff, but you're still the chief executive. So back at home, this story about that sort of came, and it didn't really get a lot of attention because of the primary, about University of New Hampshire, Durham, $14 million in cuts, declining enrollment, maybe 75 positions, declining enrollment. Is, what, what do you, what's your reaction to this story? Yeah, look, it's, it's exactly what we knew was coming. I put together a, a post-secondary education commission about three, four months ago where we're looking at the whole model has to change, right, from the community college process, the, the, the university system. The models have to change, and so we're trying to be very proactive to go at it. So, unfortunately, it was nothing that we weren't, uh, expecting is what you're seeing all across the country, right? Um, states and governments are pounding hundreds of millions of dollars into their systems just to keep them floating. And, and our, we've, we've got a great system, but you've got to modernize your model. You've got to keep a, ahead of it. So it's unfortunate that, that that's where we are, but we're trying, like I said, we're staying ahead of it. We have leadership um, from, you know, academ- academia and everything. Look at how to, how to really make sure that we your system doesn't have to be bigger to be right. more successful necessarily. Right. It just has to be, you know, putting out the best product and really delivering something of value for its students. So that's what we're looking at. And, Governor, I'm going to let you go, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this because I always look at reflections already. It's a couple of days after the primary. 
you got a budget in place for the state. New Hampshire seems to be going to place. There's always challenges. And, yes, you have more time in your term. That's not what I'm bringing up here. Um, but uh, you're still planning, because I think people probably want to know, you're still planning kind of a private sector entrance. And I'm not being fun when I say, funny when I say this, but I saw you do a lot of, tele, a lot of TV national in the last few days. Uh, when are you going to get that television show contract wrapped up? <laughs> I'm, I'm working on my radio voice, Jack. You know, I'm coming in trying to hit the post, practicing as hard as I can. No, I, I no, think look, CNN I, I, or Fox, CNN, one of these people is yeah. going to offer you a show. Oh, I, look, I, I, obviously I, I, I enjoy doing media and all that, but I, I am going to go back to the private sector one way or the other. I, I had a year to go, so we, we uh, you know, you know, we, I have the opportunity to say yes slowly, you know, and, and uh. really find what I want to do and something that, that – but uh, we'll see. I really I, have no idea what I'm going to do. I'll put a big suggestion box in the governor's office. People can come in and, yeah, and, tell, me, and tell me where well, to go. How about that? That'll, you, that'll be pretty fun. You're still on the younger side of life. I know you have a family. And uh, proud. by the way, I'm proud. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Our governor and the first lady of a, uh, a son in the United States Marine Corps. Um, but I, I got to ask you this. Um, you're going to go back in the private sector. Would would you rule out another uh, another national run or a run for political office down the road? Is that something are you done now? I think I'm done. Yeah, I really do. I, 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 nothing I'm thinking about for sure. Um, I mean, I guess I'm young. I suppose it could come down the road. But no, nothing I'm really thinking about at all. I, I just want to go back to the private sector, make money, and, and you know, take care of my family. And I'll help out the public sector as much as I can. I'm, I'm always here to help. But, I don't, you know, politics should never be a career guy. It really, really shouldn't. Some of these people, they get so obsessed with their vanity of the position, right? I mean, they just want the vanity and the, the attention and all that. It's, it, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. So in New Hampshire, I think we do it really well, Republicans and Democrats. I think overall people understand this is about service, and it's why we maintain ourselves as the gold standard above others. All right. Thank you very much, Governor Chris Sununu, on this Thursday morning. You bet. Thanks, buddy. Craving a taste of the ocean this winter? Make Weather Rain Restaurants your top choice for great-tasting food and drink. Visit a Weather Rain restaurant near you and dive into a piping hot bowl of clam chowder or a basket of golden fried onion rings. Or enjoy world-famous fish and chips. Just fifteen ninety nine. But wait, are you a Claw Club member? Why do you ask? Because Weather Vane restaurants offer double points to all Claw Club members every Wednesday. Collect points and earn free food and drink. Wow, that's incredible. What else is happening at Weathervane? They have amazing daily features like their double-stuffed lobster rolls on Thursday and call your local Weathervane and ask about their Fish Friday deal every Friday. Cheap drinks and great food at each of the four locations in Maine or New Hampshire and the best $8 margaritas all day every day. Stay warm out there from Weathervane, New England's favorite seafood restaurant. Michael Graham, I just did a nice intro for you. I gave you a website, your website, and all this stuff. You weren't even on yet. So I don't know how to do you this. You know why I wasn't on, Jack? You know why I wasn't on? Because my ears are still bleeding from that awful crap music that you played at the top of the hour. Please don't play that. You said, do you know why I'm playing that? I'm like, yeah, I know why you're playing that, because you hate me. That's why. You no. hate me and torture me with bad country music. No, I, I wanted apologize to get, for being redundant. I wanted to get the host of The View worked up on why Trump's winning the Republican <laughs> primary. <laughs> Seriously, I said this to some of the uh, CNN producers the other day in between the hits. Like, Jack, why, does, why is Trump doing so well in New Hampshire and the base? You know, who, why, you're a smart affluent. Why are they voting for him? I said, remember the Oliver Anthony song? Why don't you listen to it again? I heard, I heard it, Jack. Please stop. Please. I'm begging you. Please. All right. What do you have? Well, here's what I have is that uh, you pointed out that Joe Biden won a primary with a write-in effort. And kudos to 
Kathy Sullivan and the uh, six-figure spending they did to get him to 77,000 votes. But in 2020, Jack, you may not remember this, there was a Republican primary in New Hampshire. President Trump was the incumbent, and Bill Weld was off the ballot. He was the Dean Phillips of 2020. 130,000 Republicans turned out for that meaningless, no competition, no ads, no money, nothing spent primary. That's what an incumbent president gets who has support in his party. Biden got about half that. And, um, you know, Dean Phillips got 20 percent, which, once again, is not a lot in this in the sense of are you going to win an election? But it says something about how your party feels about you. Bill Weld in 2020, once again, the same kind of position, you know, kind of being a protest vote, got nine percent in New Hampshire. So I just want to put that into context. Also, how many times, Jack, did you have to correct people in the national media about how the primary in New Hampshire works? Oh, uh, right through, um, right through. I was on a show it's, yesterday. It's not hard. It's not hard. Yeah. If you're registered with a party, you have to vote in that party's primary. If you vote, you can't vote in the other party's primary. It's that simple. If you aren't registered in either party, which is, you know, 343,000 voters, you're undeclared. You can vote in either one. Not complicated. Let me make it even easier for the people who are already screwing up South Carolina, where I grew up and where I ran campaigns. There is no party registration in South Carolina. When you fill in your paperwork, there is no Democrat, Republican. There's no line. You just register to vote. And then you vote in any vote you want to. The only thing is, in a primary, you can only vote in one. You can't vote on the Democrat primary and then go across the street and vote in the Republican primary. It's a little weird this year because thanks to the DNC screw-ups, the primaries are on, the, on different dates. Normally, it's the same day, but now it's the third for the Democrats and the 23rd or whatever that, 24th for uh, the Republicans. So some people might you know, legitimately get confused or whatever and try to vote in both. But that, there is no stoppage. And so when Governor Sununu points out that every Democrat can vote in the Republican primary if they choose to, what he's saying is every person who identifies themselves as a Democrat because there is no party registration. It doesn't exist. They don't do that in South Carolina. Can we talk about something else? Sure. What do you think about uh, Nikki Haley standing in this race beyond South Carolina to Super Tuesday, as Governor Sununu said? Look, I, you know, it's funny, Jack. You, you hear a lot of people saying, well, so-and-so candidate has to whatever, X or Y. They have to oh, get yeah. out. They have to get in. They have to come to New Hampshire. They have to not come to New Hampshire. No, they don't. It's, it's their campaign. Remember, uh, uh, Deval Patrick actually ran for president in 2020. People forget that because he was just as impressive a candidate as he was a governor of Massachusetts. He didn't have to get in. He didn't have to get out. He, he, he stayed in as long as he wanted. Uh, Jim Gilmore, that's the guy, right, from Virginia back in the day? Yep. Who went to Iowa and literally got eight votes during the caucus. Not eight delegates, eight votes. He still came to New Hampshire. So, you know, as long as the bills are paid and your name is on the ballot, you can campaign Nikki Haley doesn't have to do anything. The question that people are asking is, what's the goal? And there's a lot of people who think that if she stays in, it makes her radioactive for 2028. And so the smart thing is to get out, have, tw- have the, the news cycle move on, and then reintroduce, reintroduce yourself to the voters in the future. Other people say, no, she needs to show up at the convention with delegates, and that those delegates matter. And then other people say, Trump could be in jail. You know, I mean, there's a lot of court cases. Things can change a lot. So you're basically 
buying a lottery ticket with other people's money, and uh, you never know what's going to happen between now and the convention. So I don't know, obviously. I, I know the Governor Haley a bit, but I don't know her very well, and I don't know what she's thinking. I think that the more you get people to vote for you, the more future support you're building, because once someone's voted for you once, it is so easy to vote for you again. And so it could be the smart strategy is to campaign in every state, build that list. And then in 2028, she's young. It could be 2028, it could be 2032. You've got people that you've been in touch with via social media, newsletters, and blah, blah, blah. And you built the little Nikki Haley army. That's a completely reasonable strategy. But, of course, you'll have to put up with nonstop attacks from Donald Trump and nonstop grilling from the press, whose only question for Nikki Haley is going to be, why are you in? You have no path. Why are you in? Yeah, it's going to see. It's going to be. But hey, she had a big rally um, down there. What last night? Paulstead in uh, North North Charleston. So we'll see. Look, she look. She had a big rally in New Hampshire the night before. And look, folks, don't forget, September fifteenth, she's at three percent in the Real Clear Politics average in New Hampshire. January, you know, twenty uh, third, she's at forty three percent. She got a bunch of people to vote for her. She grew her pile of the votes. It's just that Trump had more votes, and so you know she she but she did fine. It's forty three percent, which is more than Trump got in twenty sixteen. Now obviously it's different because you had more active candidates. But my point is forty three percent is respectable. That's why at nhjournal.com, our winners and losers uh, article that hit yesterday listed both Trump and Haley as winners because they both accomplished things that helped them. All it right. doesn't mean you won the presidency, but you still they, you know what Jack? It's amazing thinking of a loser from the First Nation primary. I thought everybody, every institution, every – Chris Nunes a winner. He, he looks better than he did before. The two parties look better than they did before. And the First Nation primary is in better shape today than it was one week ago. It was a great yeah. day for New Hampshire across the board. I agree with you. Now, I don't know the snap face stuff that well. You tweeted out my uh, from my show with Sununu earlier calling uh, the RNC chair – an idiot and a uh, scared puppy dog for Trump. How many? Uh, how many views on that? Oh shoot, Jack! I'm, I'm talking on the phone, Jack. I'm not doing my tweet stuff. I don't. Uh, no, but last time else, it was a lot. It was a lot, Jack. All right, thanks, was, buddy. Um, keep up the good work. Hey, listen. Um, you know, uh, Jedog. What? Who's he? Give him a couple of the country artists he can listen to over the weekend. No, no, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Bye. Jack Crumley's been on before. He's in for Aaron Rial, missing his radio national correspondent. A lot of controversy over the four bolts. Let's just call it the four bolt story in Boeing. Uh, talk about meeting with Congress. Take it away, Jack. Good morning. Yeah, hi, good morning. So, yeah, the issue is uh, potentially loose bolts uh, that contributed to a piece of the fuselage of uh, a Boeing jet, a 737 MAX 9, that was a part of a, an Alaska Airlines flight over Portland, Oregon, earlier this month, where a piece of the fuselage blew off. That was uh, the first of several issues that Boeing jets have had just this month. And uh, the CEO of Boeing, Dave Calhoun, met with some U.S. lawmakers yesterday. He's meeting with more today uh, to talk about these issues and what his company is doing doing to get to the bottom of them and prevent uh, any future problems. Yeah, and you know, I heard some of the former people, Boeing executives that somehow did some interviews, asked if they were surprised at this sort of mechanical, this sort of, manif- you know, this sort of uh, oversight. They said, no, Boeing's better than that. And uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. What do you think will go after the test or the, you know, appearing today? 
Uh, well, so, I mean, yeah, he's uh, meeting with lawmakers. I don't believe it's, it's a public uh, grilling sort of thing. It's more yeah, just yeah. meeting behind closed doors and, uh, you know, trying to say what's going on. Uh, according to a couple of senators that he spoke with yesterday, there wasn't any specific answer about what caused that midair blowout earlier this month, although Boeing is said to generally understand the issue. They're conducting their own internal investigation today for the, the plant that makes the Boeing 737 in Washington. They're holding a, a quality stand-down to have sessions for employees to focus on quality. Also, uh, no surprise, the NTSB is conducting its own investigation, uh, and the FAA is overseeing things as yep. well. So there's a lot of uh, government regulation, manufacturing. There's a lot of moving parts to try to get to the bottom of this and make sure that a uh, future issue doesn't uh, happen again. All right, Jack, thank you very much. Jack Rumway, I appreciate it. Thank you. Remember when the uh, head of the, uh, I don't know if it was the, you know, the uh, transportation or the uh, safety is uh, FEA. Oh, we found the door in Bob's backyard. All right, Matthew Bartlett, Darby Field Advisors. He was all over the national media. He was up here. One of our great partners and sponsors out there, bipartisan, great public affairs and advising. But he was watching. I've been listening. Matt, give my voice a break. Take it away. you got a lot of energy. How are you? Hey, Jack, good morning. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you still in New Hampshire? I am still in New Hampshire, heading back to Sin City, D.C. later on today. Okay. Um, but I'm sure I'll be back up because, you know, we are now uh, two days into the 2028 primary. Um, it's starting to heat up. Uh, we had Ro Khanna in New Hampshire the other day, um, Hakeem Jeffries. So the race is open. Could It's going to be you know wide open on both sides, Republican, Democrat. So we'll see when the Secretary of State is ready to set the date. See who does the first town hall. Um, I'm kidding, but uh, whatever. This one is done in the books. Um, you know, I almost felt like waking up on Wednesday. This is the part of, like, the movie where you go, oh, maybe the past nine months was a bit of a dream sequence, right? We all had hopes. We all had dreams that maybe uh, Biden or Trump were not going to be the nominees. Um, you know, prime for disruption. A lot of candidates on the Republican side. Some weirdness on the Democratic side, and then boom, um, it's Trump, it's Biden. Uh, you know, it's the election that nobody wants. Maybe we all deserve. Um, the only thing I would say is it appears as if, once again, like it or not, um, New Hampshire is going to pick the nominees and, and ultimately uh, pick the president. So who knows? Bit of a weird primary. Um, hey, hey, Joe Biden finally won one, and he wasn't even on the ballot. You know, someone had a great tweet that was just like, you know, he ran five times in New Hampshire, um, came in fifth place the last time, and then finally wins um, New Hampshire on a write-in. And Dean Phillips, really nice guy. Marion Williamson, um, really strange cat, really apolitical. Um, and I think that's it. I, I you know, I, I'm, I guess we still have Ryan Binkley in the in the in the race. Nobody's asking him to drop out, so maybe Nikki Haley has every right to carry on. Um, and do what she wants. Um, but I think, you know, this race is over. I told uh, NBC News something like, you know, the beginning was the end. Um, New Hampshire was the only place that could have been a wild card for Donald Trump, and he drew an ace. So we really put him on the map in 2016 as a candidate when everybody was still kind of laughing at him. Yeah. And then 2024, it looks as if, you know, this was a decisive victory after Iowa that really sealed the deal here. Um, who knows? He's got a bunch of legal problems, um, much of which that he has caused by himself. Let's be clear, no one else caused it. I remember when there was all this nonsense about the FBI planted all this stuff on Mar-a-Lago, and he's like, no, 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 it's mine. 
Um, so, you know, he's his own worst enemy. I think even his best supporters would admit that. We'll see what happens. But, but, they, don't, <clears throat> but they don't care. Well, that's true. And every that's one of true. these things you're talking about builds and deepens his base. Let's just presume, I know it's way out, but it's not really that far in politics. You are 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 100% uh, Matthew correct. Bartlett, um, let's assume the economy is about where it is a little, little better. Not sure what's going to be going on in uh, Ukraine. Not sure what's going to be going on in Gaza and the Middle East. Let's just assume the world's about the same, maybe a little bit different, but not much. And let's assume again, even though no one seems to want it, it's Biden and Trump again. <laughs> if you had to say today, Matthew, 50-50 or hard to predict, or who has an edge there? Really, really hard to predict. I mean, uh, Donald Trump won in 2016 by about 70,000 votes combined in all of the swing states. He lost in 2020 by about 40,000 votes in all of the swing states. If you think COVID hurt him, which most people do during that 2020 election, you would then think that, you know, he's got a clear edge. Um, but if you look at New Hampshire, just like you said, there's nothing that you can tell a Trump supporter that's going to get him or her off of Trump. They've heard everything from either Democrats or the media for the better part of a decade. Nothing's going to shock them. Nothing. But independent voters and swing voters seem to think differently. They're the ones that are going to make up this, that are going to decide this election. Nikki Haley has them. You know what I thought was interesting last night, Jack? Um, no labels. Joe, Le- Joe Lieberman, I think you've had him on the show many times mm-hmm. now. He's saying, hey, Nikki Haley, come on over. We appreciate what you're doing, and we still are interested in this unity ticket issue. So she has you voters that can win. I think third-party stuff can impact this a little bit. You've got a Green Party. Kennedy's an independent, maybe no labels, but no labels needed to get in this thing sooner. I don't, they, they didn't think they did, but you know what? They're almost, they're almost like becoming irrelevant, in my humble opinion. I don't know if they're even getting on enough ballots. In my opinion, I may be wrong. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. It's, it, they said we're going to wait till Super Tuesday, and then it, once it's clear. It's over. You're so right. You're so right, It's Jeff. over. So people want to start looking then? All right, Matthew, got to run. You have a good, safe flight. Awesome. Jack, congrats on everything. Heck of a primary, and, and you've been such an amazing host. Thank you. Appreciate it. The water season is not far away in terms of salt or fresh water to get out on the waterways. No one better to do that with than our great friends at Goodhue Boat Company. They have marinas across the region. You know, in the, in the summer, I love doing my show. We call it the Goodhue Marina Tour from different locations, from Lake Sunapee to Ossipee to the Big Lake, uh, Wolfboro, Meredith. And, of course, they're all over the place now, nationally and up into Maine. But if you join their boat club, which is a great opportunity, and they, I think they have some room left. Many of you already have. Great promotional deal. You don't have to buy the boat. You don't have to rent the boat. You don't have to get a trailer and haul the boat. You don't have to take care of it. You can just use the boat. So to talk more about the great deal at the Goodhue Boat Company, GoodhueBoat.com, Goodhue, G-O-O-D-H-U-E, Boat.com, and their club, and why you need to look at this today or over the weekend, Cody Gray, the the, the head of uh, Goodhue. Hey, Cody, thanks for being back. Yeah, no, I uh, appreciate uh, appreciate the time. That was uh, that was a really great description of boat club. I don't know if I could say it any uh, any better than that. Yeah, but you can tell us how to join and what to do. Totally, <clears throat> totally. Well, we have uh, you know fleets of brand new boats at all of those great locations that you just talked about. And uh, what better than uh, you know driving and and operating and enjoying a brand new boat and not having to pay for it or insure it <laughs> or store it. Uh, and maintain it, et cetera. Um, and, um, you know, at a, at a fraction of the cost, I mean, um, you know, we, we kind of figure, and obviously this varies based on the boat that uh, you would buy personally, but for, a you know, a 25-foot 
uh, bow rider uh, or pontoon boat, um, joining the club is about a third of the cost uh, of ownership, just to give you some, uh, you know, some perspective uh, in a side-by-side comparison. So, Opportunity, really, for not a lot of money. Tell us about more of the mechanics of, I'm not familiar with a boat club, for example, why, how much is it, where can I use it, is it just in um, New Hampshire and New England, take that part. Yeah, sure. Well, there's a, there's an initiation fee uh, to become a member. That's a one-time fee uh, that you pay. And uh, we have some deals going on to save uh, up to $2,000 on that initiation fee right now. And then there's a monthly fee that varies a little bit just based on how much you want to, uh, how many reservations you want to have out uh, in the future. Um, but it's, you know, plan on somewhere between four and $500 uh, a month to be, uh, you know, to be in the club. And uh, that gives you unlimited use of all of our boats at all of our marina locations around New England. And it also gives you access to boats all over the world that are part of the carefree uh, boat club community. So um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty spectacular offer. But where Cody Gray with Goodhue are these other locations with the Carefree Boat Club? I mean, if someone visits someone in Florida, they're down there for a month or two, can they go? Is there down there? We, where are we talking? Yeah, absolutely. There are 140 locations uh, around the globe uh, that you can use. If you're a member of the of the Carefree Boat Club uh, at any of our Goodhue locations, um, you, you uh, as you would probably imagine, to use a boat, you you reserve a boat on your mobile phone or on your computer, um, uh, you know, to come to one of our marinas and, and use the boat. And you would do the same thing if you're going to be visiting somebody in Florida or Corpus Christi or San Diego uh, or uh, you know, a variety of other uh, places around uh, around the world, and you would just do the same thing: reserve a boat with your mobile app, and uh, go on vacation, enjoy uh, the boat. Even uh, on a day like uh, <laughs> like today, you could go down to Florida and uh, use a boat with your membership. But but more importantly, when we're in the prime of you know Memorial Day on here in the summer, people who live in the region they might do an Airbnb or rent a place in somewhere near Guilford, and you have the Marina Wolfboro. They might be near Meredith. They might be on Lake Sunapee. They might be in Ossipee. They might be in Maine on Sebago. These, this is, these are your sweet spots, right? Totally. Yeah. Those are those are all uh, all of the places that uh, that you can have unlimited access to the boats on. Yeah. So again, the upfront investment, and I can tell you as a boat owner versus buying a boat, new or used, winterizing, storing a boat, taking care of a boat, getting a slip somewhere. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong in my math, Cody, but you could become a boat club member through Goodhue and get all this for the season or year, uh, probably for less money than if you had to rent a slip somewhere for just, you know, the summer season. Just the cost of a slip uh, could absolutely pay your boat club membership, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. And again, you got to really love your boat. If you own one, take care of it. It's like a car and a home. You never know. Uh, but with your boat club, you can get different kinds of boats. If you're on different waterways, you can get a you know, op, you know, ba- you know, bow right. Depending on where you are, pontoon boat if it fits the mode, all kinds of choices, right? Yeah, exactly. And and you know, sometimes you want to use a, a different boat for a different purpose. You might have you know children or grandkids or something, and and uh, you want to just go out and, and picnic, and, and you might take a pontoon boat or. Maybe somebody wants to water ski or tube, and you'll you'll take a, a bow rider, or you'll go to Sebago and take a center console fishing boat uh, and go out fishing for a morning with the guys. Anyway, so 
uh, that's a pretty amazing opportunity that, uh, you know, most of us don't have uh, access to multiple boats that are in the water for our use at any time. So that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Best way to join today, Cody? Uh, is just to go to goodhueboat.com and uh, give us your information. We'll give you a call back. All right. Hey, we're going to take uh, top of the hour. Cody, thank you, buddy. I can't wait to get out there. And I, I know we're, but you know, it comes quickly. It comes quickly, and it's fun. It's fun to think ahead. Thank you, Cody. Thanks. Take care, Jack. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, is going to be checking in. And you know, it's interesting because we're just talking about had governor. We had Governor Sununu on the show earlier talking about Nikki Haley and how the race is just beginning between her and Trump. Trump wants Nikki Haley out of the race. Governor Sununu was talking about that. I know a lot of the name calling going on, but all that's happening, and yet President Trump, candidate Trump. Comes out of New Hampshire, back in a courtroom, might even take the stand. Rory, take it away. Yeah, we are standing by to figure out if the former president will testify in this defamation trial. They're right now playing some evidence of um, some of the comments that the president made about Carol and this uh, civil suit. So we'll see if he takes the stand. If he does testify, it's a very narrow window uh, of topics that he can talk about. So he cannot say that Carol is a liar or made this up or it's fake news. He would only be allowed to testify specifically about the kind of economic damages done to Carol by some of his statements. So you had to say, do you think he will or not? You're not sure we're waiting? Uh, it seems unlikely. We are standing by, but uh, and if he doesn't testify, this whole thing could wrap up tomorrow. If he does, it still won't be a whole lot of testimony. It may have to push into next week, but uh, we're almost at the end of this trial. All right, Roy. Well, going to be interesting. It will. Thank you, Roy. Thanks, Jack. Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, straight to the Dome, whether it's in Concord or Washington. Lucas Meyer, one of our great regular political analysts and all-stars, is one of the top strategists for the Democrat side of things in New Hampshire and beyond. Lucas, a check-in. How are you? Good morning, Jack. A beautiful New Hampshire day in the... The, as the ripples of the first in the nation head out to South Carolina, what a what a week in New Hampshire, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you and I can agree. Before I do, by the way, because I want you to run with this, because my voice is a little challenged uh, getting to whatever it is, and I need to need to get a little rest. Um, kudos to the state for people voting, it working. Um, you know the, the the handle we had on even with the demand for ballots, we do it really well. People participated. It does have an impact. Congratulations, Joe Biden finally won a primary here on a write-in. Um, is it going to be a two-person race uh, or not? Governor Sununu teed off this morning on my show. He actually liked this, but he called the RNC chair, who, like President Trump, they're mad that Nikki Haley's still in the race. Sununu said, quote, she's an idiot and a scared puppy dog for Trump. <laughs> so that's already been tweeted out on Fox and some of the media, but... Nikki Haley staying in this thing, it appears, for a while. But my point, Lucas, before we begin, so full truth, right? What, what a novel concept. I need a break, mental health break and a voice break and a cold break. So tomorrow I'm I'm going to get a, uh, a host in here. So Michael Dennehy on the Republican side, like yourself, great one, Lucas Meyer. He's going to do what he's done it before. But I want to get you in here to host the show because can you imagine, can you imagine Howie Carr letting a respected Democrat host his, host his show, or uh, one of the other national folks. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I think it would be great for you to host it because the listener would be like, hey, you know what? 
he's a pretty sharp dude here. I mean, it's interesting. You can bring in all your Democrat guests, and everyone will be like, what's going on? Where's Jack? So I thought it would be fun sometime. <laughs> so uh, I think we need to get you in here. I would I would be flattered and honored to do that someday, and I would I would have quite the lineup of folks, and I think your listeners might be surprised with some of the folks I'd try and bring on. But I do want to echo your sentiment about, like, a round of applause for everyone in the state, especially our poll workers. Mm-hmm who were, you know, volunteer folks from our community. You know, we talk a lot about our pride in the first of the nation and how we have locally run elections with volunteers. And, you know, I'm very plugged in with the voting rights community in the state, and we didn't hear much um, in the form of, you know, tumultuous interactions at the polls or angry folks or overwhelmed with write-in votes. You know, people were prepared People took this seriously and, you know, forget all of the politics around New Hampshire's position in the first in the nation, but just like running free and fair elections that people can trust and have confidence in. um, I think it was really important for the state to demonstrate that on a national level. Um, You know, in, in, in a certain regard, had Donald Trump not won, I imagine the rhetoric around this election is very different around Dealing the election and election fraud. Uh, no, so it would have been. It would I'm have glad. been Lucas. It would have been. They want Democrats vote the same day. Right, right, right. So um, uh, I just you know, really want to put a under underline it, italicize bold. Good job, everyone. Um, and make sure you thank your moderator, you thank your clerk, you thank your poll workers whenever you see a mountain hey, about because have... that is what makes everything work. I agree. Quick question. I just someone just asked me, and I don't know where are you from originally. I'm from Concord. Concord, New Hampshire. Oh yeah, right off exit sixteen. I didn't know that, but you you're you're you do this well. I could ask you this question. I'm watching CNN, I'm Fox, I'm watching some of the national. But someone I raised this the other day on election day, and one of our analysts said, "You know, that's actually a good question." So if you look at polling outside national stuff, Lucas, of Biden and Trump, right, both sides, because it looks like it's going to be that's the matchup again. If you really want to step back from the plate, the likelihood that it's Biden and Trump again is greater than not, right? Right. So I'm, I'll make this quick as my voice, but we had a class in from Milan University in my studios the other day. They went to St. Anselm. They were falling. They're going to South Carolina, a political science journalism class. Uh, great students. Very, very. I was very inspired because I learned from them. They were great. They came to learn from me, but I picked their brains and learned from them. And they were saying that they just don't dig either choice, whether they're Republican or Democrat or in the middle. And they're like, we have no say. No one cares. We're 20, 21 years old voters. We... And, and you look at the polls, probably 80% of most people would say they don't want Biden or Trump again. They would say that, right? Yeah. Why are we getting it again? Oh, I mean, geez, how much time do we have, Jack? Well, you know what? You um, can I mean, take think... you, plenty of time. Take it away. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I think, I mean, there, there are a couple of layers to that question. I mean, I think one, um, you know, I mean, I spend a lot of my time, uh, I started a nonprofit called 603 Forward which is a nonpartisan organization that works to get young people more involved in running for office in our state. Um, and I do think there is a great need for more young people to step up and serve. And I'm not saying run for president, um, but there's a pipeline. Well, you're, run, you're running up. for governor in a couple of years. I don't know about that. But I do think there's, I can definitely appreciate uh, why folks are frustrated with our choices. And I also understand why President Biden is running for re-election. I do think there is a world, if Donald Trump isn't running for re-election, that Joe Biden steps back 
and someone else from the party steps up. But with the stakes being what they are, um, you know, there, it wasn't, there, there wasn't a political movement or strategy to find a new nominee. And are, are people rightfully concerned about President Biden's age and turned off by it? Yeah, and I think that is the Biden campaign's one of their bigger challenges. And I think this enthusiasm gap, certainly with younger voters, is something I am very anxious about and nervous yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, and we should be. And, 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 not, and not just from a political perspective, but we do need young people to believe in our democracy right. and take part in it. If we lose that, we start to backslide into whatever form of government yeah. that isn't a democracy, which isn't good. So I do think there is a great importance in having our elected leaders represent our country. I do think we, at least in D.C., live in a geriocracy where there are people who are way older than the average of this country who are making all the decisions. Um, I mean, those are bigger issues to to tackle um, systemically. But like everything in the world, the problems are systemic and and the solutions are constant. Um, so it's just like Sisyphus. You got to keep rolling that rock up the hill. Hey, say what you want for Nikki Haley, but you got to admit one of her ads in the uh, end here was uh, Washington has become the most expensive nursing home in the country. It's not a bad line. Um, it's not a bad line. But, I don't know, disagree. But Lucas, I go back to these Elon students, political science, journalism. About twelve or fifteen in my uh, in my studio the other day, and during the break, I I just talked to them. And 20, 21 years old, and they, and they vote. They're, they're smart. They know their stuff. And both of uh, a little focus group, they said what you just said. We, we, we're kind of the future. We're more informed than our friends. We study political stuff. We're in New Hampshire, we're Iowa, South Carolina. We're watching the process. We love this stuff. But we feel like no one listens to us. Washington's broken. It's all bought and paid for. We have no say, no impact. What we feel doesn't matter. It's like they, they feel like powerless and everything's already predetermined. And I go, you, I think you're speaking for 60, 70 percent of the adults in the country. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I mean, what what has the Republican Congress done? Nothing. Republicans in the House haven't done anything. When President Biden had, you know, most all of the levers of power, they were able to get some 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 really important things done. But that is that is the exception to the rule in Congress, and this is why you know. But, but the can, team I, can, I, can I can I just play devil's advocate? It's not so much yeah. who's in the majority. The feeling is it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Yeah, who's in Congress? Because we've had presidents before where they've had the whole table. They've had the House, the Senate. And they don't do enough, or they don't get anything done on, on both sides of the aisle. No, oh, absolutely. I mean the, I mean D.C. is not the, the banner of productivity or efficacy. Um, there are there is a lot of good stuff happening that is not what gets communicated out to the world. I think how people consume their news is obviously dramatically changed. Um, so the stuff that is good that is happening doesn't get the headlines. And this is also why I like to make sure when people feel that frustration with Congress, redirect that to your local community, your school board, your budget committee, your library trustee, your select board, your town council. That is where that is where policy the rubber meets the rubber hits the road, and so you know my advice to folks who are feeling disenfranchised by Congress is tune on your public access TV and see what's happening in your city council. What's the housing development that's being proposed that maybe needs a little support from someone in the community to say, hey, we need to, we need this to lower prices, or 
you know, who's stepping up? I had a bunch of friends step up for the first time this year to be poll workers, and they had a great time. And they got to talk to people and have human interactions and see that government can work for people. Um, but that is a tall order when you look at the dysfunction. Again, I, I fully agree. There's dysfunction on both sides of the aisle. I tend to think when Democrats are in power, some more productive things can happen, don't always happen. Thank you, Joe Manchin. Um, but, I, I mean, when, when folks tell me they're discouraged, I say, yeah. I don't blame you, See, I, but yeah, go ahead. the alternative of just putting up your hands and sitting back is not a viable alter- alternative to me. So that's the, that's going to be the challenge of the Biden campaign over the next eight months is how, how does that campaign or how are they able to build the coalition they need to win? I would rather have the challenges the Biden campaign has as opposed to the challenges the Trump campaign will have with building a coalition because that seems – virtually impossible, but the work for the Biden campaign will be real. Lucas, but you just touched on some things. Get involved locally, couldn't agree more. We do it well here. But most states run better than Washington. How do we make Washington be like a state here where you have to live within your budget, have accountability? And the other thing is, you're really good at what you do. You could be doing this in Washington, either working for a Gene Shaheen or a Maggie Hassan or your own firm. Why are you here? Well, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think the challenges in D.C., I mean, I'm, I'm a broken record on this, but certainly for Congress, we got we to gotta get independent redistricting. We got to have fair congressional maps and try and build a, a more moderate, productive Congress. Um, I, I think money in politics and lobbying, the revolving door of lobbying in D.C. is a real systemic problem of who just has access staff and legislators um and then voter enfranchisement i think we have to have people believe in the system to show up and have their voice heard and if they you know feel disenfranchised then a smaller minority will dictate what happens and just further perpetuate the cycle of folks feeling like government isn't working for them because it's yeah. not yeah um and then why do I focus on the state? Because I love New Hampshire, man. This is like well, the place to be. I always would joke with kids and uh, friends at Denison, like, if you want to be an astronaut, go to Cape Canaveral. If you want to work in politics, move to New Hampshire. It's like, yeah, you're, this, you're is, good. this is the barroom brawl, good time. I appreciate it, buddy. We've got to run to a break. Listen, get you in here soon. Thank you, Lucas. Make it a great Thursday. Thanks, Jack. Have a good weekend. All right, Lucas Meyer, straight to the Dome on the Democrat side.